Hi there, this is Mike Eastman, and thanks for joining us at EPC as we reach what we could rightly call the climax of all prophecy. Revelation chapters 21 and 22, the final chapters of the Bible. And as we've been working our way through Revelation, the last testimony of Jesus, we have encountered some difficult truths. While the unveiling or uncovering of what has been, is, and what is to come, is an encouragement to those who bear testimony to Jesus. The message that every single person is accountable to a holy God, whose judgments are true and just, is not necessarily welcomed by all who hear it. The events of chapter 20 make clear the outcome for all of those whose name is not found in the Lamb's book of life. Which leads us now to chapter 21. What is the fate of those whose name is found in the Lamb's book of life? Well, it's a new home, an eternal home, a home with no tears, no sadness, no pain, no sickness, no loss, no persecution, no aging, and no death. You see, our passage today is really, really, really good news. This is the passage that we look to when we need to be reminded of where we're headed. And at the heart of this passage is the announcement from God himself. I am making everything new. Write this down, for these words are trustworthy and true. It is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this. And I will be their God and they will be my children. This making everything new is not something that God does suddenly at the end of time but it's something that he's already begun doing. He is, present tense, making everything new. For anyone who is in Christ Jesus is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. So what's new? Being made right with God. When Jesus used his final breath to cry out, it is finished, while hanging from a Roman cross almost 2,000 years ago, he surrendered to death, his own blood, making the payment required to assure every single one of his people of an eternal home. John sees this home in Revelation 21 coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride, beautifully dressed for her husband. This eternal home is where God dwells with his people. They, rather we, we will be his people, and God himself will be with us and be our God. This is where the whole story of the Bible has been heading from the very beginning. God's people living in right relationship with God for eternity. But we aren't home yet, are we? 
the fact that I'm recording this sermon sitting in a room by myself, rather than speaking to you in person, reminds me, reminds us of this. You see, we're surrounded by political unrest, sickness, panic, fear, and confusion, and death. And it hurts. Our tears flow. You see, we aren't home yet. Which is what makes these closing verses of the Bible so much more special. They tell us what is coming. We need to know where home is. As one of my Bible college lecturers used to say, it is a gory world, but glory is coming. So if you could get your Bibles open at Revelation chapter 21, uh, I'm going to pray. Lord, you are the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. Thank you that you are making all things new and that through Jesus you assure us of an eternal home in perfect relationship with you. We long for this home more and more each day. I ask you to be with us as we seek to bring your truth to the struggles of our lives. Father, please give me your wisdom and your strength so that I speak your words to all who are listening today. May you be the one who satisfies our thirst and gives us victory. For we, Lord, are your children. Amen. Let us begin at verse 1. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth. For the first heaven and the first earth had passed away, and there was no longer any sea. If you were with us last week, you will remember that it was when every person was judged according to what they had done, that the earth and the sky, the heaven, fled from the presence of God. There was no longer a place for them. As Satan, the beast, and all of his followers, and all that they had done, were removed permanently from God's good creation, then the old order of things has passed away. So now John sees a new heaven and a new earth. Now, this is not saying new as in alternative or somehow a replacement, heaven and earth, but rather new meaning new in nature, fresh, new beyond our imaginations. As the Apostle Paul wrote in 1 Corinthians chapter 2, what no eye has seen, what no ear has heard, and what no human mind has conceived, the things God has prepared for those who love him. And this has been the plan from the very beginning. It's no coincidence that what John sees in this final vision is like the garden that was in the beginning. Only it's better. In chapter 22, verse 2, we even see that the tree of life is here in the city, but even bigger and with fruit everywhere. The paradise that was lost in Genesis chapter 3 becomes paradise regained in Revelation 21 and 22. And there was no longer any sea. You may have noticed as we've made our way through Revelation that the sea seems to be used to define the home of all that is opposed to God. The beast arose out of the sea. 
The great prostitute sat on many waters, and the dead were brought up from the sea, along with death and Hades. In the Old Testament, the sea would often symbolize chaos. So when the sea is no more, there is no more evil. There's no more chaos. There's no more death. The old order of things has passed away. And God's promise to Abraham and his descendants that they would be God's people, in God's place and in God's presence, will find its ultimate eternal fulfillment in this new city that has been prepared by God and for God. I'm reading from verse 2. I saw the holy city, the new Jerusalem, coming down out of heaven from God, prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Look, God's dwelling place is now among the people, and he will dwell with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death, no mourning, crying or pain. For the old order of things has passed away. He who was seated on the throne said, I am making everything new. Then he said, write this down. For these words are trustworthy and true. He said to me, it is done. I am the Alpha and the Omega, the beginning and the end. To the thirsty I will give water without cost from the spring of the water of life. Those who are victorious will inherit all of this, and I will be their God, and they will be my children. This, this is home. Finally, these verses are often used in the closing of other sermons, calling us to press on towards our heavenly home, and rightly so. This is the perfect picture of God's people living in right relationship with God for eternity. This is the good news that John needed to hear. It's the good news the seven churches called to overcome needed to hear. This is the good news that we need to hear. You see, we need to know where home is. And home is where Jesus is. John knows this. While he casually mentions the new sky and the new earth, the removal of the sea, he then focuses all of his attention on this new city, the city of God, the eternal city. It's been said that all of creation is standing on tiptoe waiting for this moment to come. And here it has come, not by evolution or revolution, but as a gift from God. Notice that this eternal city is prepared as a bride beautifully dressed for her husband. This is a stark contrast to the worldly city, Babylon the Great, from the previous chapters of Revelation, who was depicted as a prostitute riding a blasphemous beast, seducing the nations and persecuting those who held to the testimony of Jesus. Now for those who have heeded the warning from Jesus to come out of her, my people, 
there is this reminder that they are not left homeless. John not only sees this eternal home, but he hears the voice of God. In verse 3, the dwelling place of God is now with people. This is not just great architecture, but great relationships. God's people living in right relationship with God. Jesus will return to live with his people. And John, the same guy who saw this vision, wrote of the first coming of Jesus, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And here the same word is used. Jesus will once more come to make his home with his people for eternity. This is the home that we're longing for. This is the home that we're groaning for. For where Jesus is, life is. And there will come a day when he himself will wipe away every single tear. Paul reflects on this longing for home in Romans chapter 8. I'm reading from 18. I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. For the creation waits in eager expectation for the children of God to be revealed. For the creation was subjected to frustration, not by its own choice, but by the will of the one who subjected it, in hope that the creation itself will be liberated from its bondage to decay and brought into the freedom and glory of the children of God. Now we know that the whole creation has been groaning, as in the pains of childbirth, right up to the present time. Not only so, but we ourselves, who have the first fruits of the Spirit, groan inwardly as we wait eagerly for our adoption to sonship, the redemption of our bodies. For in this hope we were saved. But hope that is seen is no hope at all. Who hopes for what they already have? But if we hope for what we do not yet have, we wait for it patiently. You see, Paul got it. We aren't home yet. But in the midst of our present sufferings, as we groan, as we feel the pain and we shed the tears of seeing our world filled with sadness, sickness and death, we need to know where to fix our eyes. We need to know where home is. And home is with Jesus. He is the one on the throne who is making all things new. And we can write this down, for he and his words are trustworthy and true. Jesus is the beginning and the end. When he says, it is done, it is. To those who thirst for God, to those who are exhausted by the struggle of holding to the testimony of Jesus, burdened by persecution, tired, broken, groaning, Jesus gives water. Not just any water, living water. 
Later in chapter 22, we see that this living water flows freely all through the city of God. I wonder, what do you thirst for? What do you long for? When we talk about an eternal home, what is it that you think about? Because here in verse 7 and verse 8, we see that this eternal home will only be for those who are victorious. If you thirst for and long for being with Jesus, then you will be. If your thirsting and longing is for anything or anyone else, then the call is for you to overcome that. You know, I spent most of my life thirsting after the things of the world, after money, possessions, status, sex. And by the grace of God, he made me new. And now, knowing what Jesus has brought me from, I long for the day that all of these other things are not anywhere in sight that even my memories are gone. You see, I long to see Jesus and for his glory to be all that I see. But I'm not home yet. I look at this list of people in verse 8 who are excluded from the new creation and I shudder because I see myself. You see, this list reminds us of the seven letters to the seven churches back at the opening of Revelation. They were called to be victorious over unbelief, apathy, false religion, idolatry, and sexual immorality. While every church had different trials to overcome, as do we, we have different trials to overcome. But, we who are victorious will inherit all that God provides and he will be our God and we will be his children. We are victorious when our thirst is satisfied in Christ and Christ alone. This verse is not saying that if you have doubts, if you tell a lie or if you're sometimes anxious or afraid, that you just simply can't go to heaven. It's not even saying that if you're a murderer, that you're excluded from heaven. It's saying that in heaven, in God's eternal home, there will be none of these things, in you or in anyone else. For the former things will have passed away. So the question is again, what do you thirst for? The following verses highlight the splendor of what awaits those who thirst for Jesus. And I'm reading from verse 9. One of the seven angels who had the seven bowls, full of the seven last plagues, came and said to me, Come, I will show you the bride, the wife of the Lamb. And he carried me away in the spirit to a mountain great and high. And he showed me the holy city, Jerusalem coming down out of heaven from God. It shone with the glory of God, and its brilliance was like that of a very precious jewel, like a jasper, clear as crystal. It had a great high wall with twelve gates, and with twelve angels at the gates. 
On the gates were written the name of the twelve tribes of Israel. There were three gates on the east, three on the north, three on the south, and three on the west. The wall of the city had twelve foundations, and on them were the names of the twelve apostles of the Lamb. John then goes on to talk of precious stones, gates made of single pearls, height and width far beyond what we can see, and a street made of pure gold. This is a home with beauty beyond what we can imagine. Unlike any city that's been built with human hands, the beauty of our eternal home is the glory of God himself. So it's important that we don't get caught up on the images and the symbolism here. The point being made is this. What is rare, valuable and attractive of God's handiwork now will be in abundance then. God's people will lack for nothing and the future glory that we're pressing towards now is far greater than even the greatest splendor of anything that this world has to offer. As we've seen throughout Revelation, numbers and dimensions that are provided are part of the message. And here, the numbers 12,000 and 144 represent the people of God. Meaning that there's room for all of God's people. No one's left out. There is room for you. This is God's people in God's place, in God's presence, forever. Which means that John, and I'm now reading from verse 22, didn't see a temple in the city, because the Lord God Almighty and the Lamb are its temple. The city does not need the sun or the moon to shine on it, for the glory of God gives it light, and the Lamb is its lamp. The nations will walk by its light, and the kings of the earth will bring their splendor into it. On no day will its gates ever be shut, for there will be no night there. The glory and honor of the nations will be brought into it. Nothing impure will ever enter it, nor will anyone who does what is shameful or deceitful, but only those whose name are written in the Lamb's book of life. You see, there's no temple because Jesus is the temple. There's no sun or moon because Jesus is the light and his glory fills the earth. The glory of God's eternal home is Jesus himself. Just as the glory of all who enter the eternal home is Jesus and his work in them. This city is not just about great architecture, but it's about great relationship. This is God's people living in right relationship with God for eternity. Do you look forward to that? Is this what you thirst for? Now that we know where home is, We have a sure hope as we wait, because we're not home yet. Normally, we would see this hope of Revelation 21 used to close a sermon, calling us to press on, to hold on to the hope 
of our eternal home. And indeed, I do hope that today we are reminded how much we need this message because we're not home yet. Let me leave you with the words of Paul in 1 Corinthians chapter 15. Starting from verse 50, my hope is that these words are an encouragement to you. I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, for the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? You see, the sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, He gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Not in vain. Everything that we are doing now has an eternal significance for those of us who belong to the Lord Jesus. Thanks for listening. May the Lord bless you and keep you as you look to Jesus on your way home.